Amen. Good morning, Calvary. And Happy New Year. What a great crowd today as we are starting the new year off. I was backstage in the last service and got a little emotional hearing that song. Because um, the Raise Hallelujah was, was a, one of the favorite songs of a good friend of ours named Ben Shepherd. And this last week, if you don't know, Ben was a former uh, chairman of our deacons and youth volunteer and just uh, real close to many people in our church passed away after a long battle with cancer. Um, his funeral services will be this Saturday. But as I was thinking about that, the raise a hallelujah in the middle of our storm, that was kind of his fight song. You know, I'm, I'm going to worship God no matter what comes, no matter what is, no matter what will. And I think if Ben were here today, he'd want you to know how important it is for you to live a life devoted to Jesus. I saw an interesting article, uh, it was a meme kind of thing this last week and it made me laugh, so I'm going to share it with you. Brace yourself, it's a little awkward. But the idea of this was, if you've ever heard in Ephesians 6, their Bible describes the, um, the armor of God. And so it's like the belt of truth and there's a chest covering and a, it's, a, it's a whole knight's kind of outfit, a warrior's outfit if you would. And the idea of this meme goes, I'm scared that the world is full of a bunch of Christian streakers. I told you it's a little awkward. And what it means by that is there's a bunch of, bunch of people who want to call themselves Christians but only want to wear the helmet of salvation. And we wonder why we're uncomfortable in this world because we don't actually clothe ourselves with the bounty of what it looks like to walk in the newness and in, in the protection and the love of God. So as we're continuing on in our Luke books, by the way, if you don't have one of these, you can scan. There's some QR codes out in the hall. You can scan those. We still have some available or you can buy them online. But as you're reading through this over the next few months, the point of what we're trying to get to through this book of Luke is to look at the story of Jesus, how he lived his life, how he lived on mission, to apply that to our own life so that at the end of this year, we're closer to God than when we started. Because I think God wants to do some amazing things. To do that, we're going to cover the baptism of Jesus as well as uh, John preparing the way. That's where we're going to start. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 3. If you have your Luke books, it's on page 22. We'll start reading in verse 3. The he, and mentioned in verse 3, is John the Baptist. John the Baptist went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. So he's quoting the Old Testament here. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight and the rough way smooth and everyone will see the salvation of God. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized and brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Therefore, this is really important, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stores, stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so then they asked him, what should we do? And he's going to go on and talk to them about repentance and living for the kingdom of God. 
A couple of points you may want to highlight and underline there is, first of all, when it's talking about we have Abraham as our father, this is the idea of saying we were part of the church because we were born into the church. The Old Testament, they were Israelites. They were born in the house of Israel. And so they're like, we're good. We're in the the lineage of our father Abraham. And so therefore we have a relationship with God. And he was like, just because you're born in the family doesn't mean you're actually a part of the relationship with God. It's about having a relationship with God. And he goes on and he says, you should produce fruit consistent with repentance. In other words, does your life nurture that of a person who is surrendered to the will of God. So if you call yourself a Christian, not that you're going to be perfect. All the perfectionists in the room always get, get a little antsy. Like, how do I live a perfect? You can't live a perfect life. But if you surrender your life to God, the journey of what it means to follow Christ is every year we should be drawing closer to God, which means every day we should be trying to draw closer to God which means that we need to understand what it looks like to follow him. And so this is previous to Jesus' baptism, before Jesus' ministry had even started. And John's going out and he is baptizing people. Now, it's interesting here because when we baptize people, we, we baptize people who have said, I surrender to God. John's baptism was previous to the ability to receive Jesus. So what was he doing in the symbolic nature of the baptism he was doing? You see, baptism is the dying of our old self and being raised to a new life. It is the idea of turning around. What do you need to turn around from? What would it look like for you over the next year To turn around from the ways that keep you from God. And really learn to walk with him. You see, I think that the church has bought into this lie. That says the whole world is getting worse until Jesus returns. Yes and no. Because the reality is the world may be getting worse until Jesus returns. But it doesn't mean that you can't. And it doesn't mean the church should walk around with this mantra and this attitude of, oh, life's so hard. Rather, we should be raising a hallelujah, right? We should be rejoicing in the Lord in all things. We should be looking to him in the storms because our God is still on his throne. And the salvation that we receive is not just for the next life, but for here and now. So what's keeping you? What's causing the dilemma? What's causing the progress? What are the areas of your life that are prohibiting you from experiencing life to its fullest in your relationship with God? The reality is I don't need to spell them out. You already know. Because we all have those thorns. Right? So I want to encourage you to do something. If you have your look book, write out in the margin. What is it that's keeping you from experiencing Christ to its fullest? Maybe you want to write in code. I get that. Is it anger? Is it, I want to be financially secure? What is it 
in your life that's keeping you from experiencing God to its fullest? And how do we turn from that and turn to God? You see in that passage it says, make the paths straight. He quotes Isaiah and that's the reason. Have you ever seen the Bible when they write the Bible out there's this like indention that means they're quoting another passage from another part of the Old Testament usually, especially in the New Testament. Okay? So he's actually quoting Isaiah here, and the idea of make the path straight is the idea of, well, as Andy Stanley says it, you can't get to Florida by getting on I-65 and headed north. If you want to go to Florida, you've got to get on I-65 and head south, right? There is a path that will lead you closer to God, and so, yes, we, we trust that God is our salvation. We, we, we long to, but the idea of really experiencing God means that we have to be on the path that leads us to God. And when we're not, we need to recognize it so that we can turn around. Now, here's the cool part. You know what turn around really means? Repent. By definition, repentance is turning around. So what do you need to turn around from. You see, John's baptism symbolized dying to one's old ways and turning towards God in his kingdom. Dying, the turning around, letting go, no longer headed in the pathway of destruction and turning towards the kingdom of God. And one of the first steps in following Christ is to recognize our own big Christian word, depravity. What does depravity mean? Depravity means your sin. So if you're a little kid, you now know the word depravity means sin, right? It also means your mistakes. You know the beautiful thing about depravity is we know that we have it from the time we were a really little child, right? So I want to do something a little bit painful. I want you to go back to the first time that one of your parents or your guardians caught you doing something ter terribly wrong and called you on it, and you felt shame. Maybe for you, it was the first time that your mom caught you lying. And she looked at you with her glasses and went, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe it was the time when you stole that piece of gum and your dad made you go back up to the counter and tell the, the, the cashier and how embarrassed you were. Or maybe... You remember the time when you were a little child and your mom asked you to do something and you went, no! Or was that just me? Red hair speak. You know what I'm saying? You see, children know they're not perfect. But I have a fear that we as adults grow up and we stop accepting our own depravity Instead, we just think society is full of depraved people and blame everyone else for our problems. I wouldn't have lost my temper if... I wouldn't be struggling if I had enough money in my bank account and the boss wasn't so cheap. I would be able to overcome this, but... What would it look like if instead of pointing all our fingers to everyone else, we embraced our own faults and we recognized that we are still depraved, maybe saved, but still depraved. And realizing that we're not home yet, and so we have things we need to repent 
from. Now, we aren't going to go get baptized all the time. You've been baptized once, you're good. But once you're baptized, it's symbolic of I'm going to live a life of dying to my old ways and being raised to a new life. So write that down in the margins. Still struggling to find it? Well, John actually gives us several. John the Baptist gives us several other examples in verses 7 through 14 of ways the people of the audience needed to turn from their ways. And we're not going to read all of these, but we'll throw it on the screen so you can make the notes out on the side. In verses 7 through 9, he addresses the religious people. We did read that one. It's talking about we need to bear good fruit by building up the kingdom, not our kingdom. Building up the kingdom, not our kingdom. We're going to come back to that in a minute. To the well-off or the rich, they're called to live generously and sacrificially. Not trying to build up your bank account for the sake of having the largest bank account. He who dies with the most money wins. To the tax collectors, they're called not to steal and to act virtuously towards people. Which is very similar to the challenge to the soldiers he gives who were also there that they shouldn't abuse their power. See, the Romans had quite a bit of power. They could make people carry things for them. They, I mean, you have a spear. You can make people do things, right? And all of these had kind of a common theme if you really think about it. They were all about people using their natural abilities, their natural strengths, their natural uh, talents, their natural what they owned, and stewarding it for the kingdom instead of their kingdom. You realize you have some advantages that other people don't have. Who? All of us. And you know what we do is we like to look at other people and go, they have those advantages. <sighs> but you have some. For me, I'm able to speak in front of a room full of people and not be fearful. Do you realize I could use that very easily for my own kingdom benefit? Some of you... You couldn't do that, and I know that. But what do you use? How has God wired you? How has God gifted you to build up His kingdom? And are you using those tools to leverage your kingdom or His? You see, the problem with building up your kingdom is it has to, by nature, in fact, by the law of nature, put down someone else. So what you're doing when you're trying to build up your kingdom is you're actually attacking what we call big fancy preacher words. You can write these down. The imagio dei, the image of God. The fact that all humans were made to be in a relationship with God. You were made in the image of God. Who? Male and female. All of us. You got fingerprints? You're made in the image of God. Lost those fingerprints because you read too many newspapers. That's this thing that used to be delivered at the front step of your door. Wears off your fingerprints. You're still made in the image of God. Right? We are made in the image of God. And when we use our abilities, when we use our strengths, when we use our resources to keep other people down, that's violating the image of God. Now, there's many ways that this can be manipulated, and, and I'm not talking about capitalism, save me. I'm not saying anything about the way the Republicans, Democrats, please, that's not what I'm saying, okay? 
What I am saying is, what's the motive of your heart? If you make more money, how are you using it? If you have more time, how are you using it? Where's your kingdom investment? Yours or God's? So John was addressing this, and he did it in such a poetic way. Isn't it funny how, like, when you start actually serving other people, people will flock to what you are doing because they're not used to people, like, going, hey, you're doing a great thing. And you know the danger in that moment is when you start doing a great thing, you start thinking you're doing a great thing. <laughs> right? And then they put you on a soapbox and then they put you up on a, a pedestal and then everybody starts going, this person's awesome. Look how sacrificial they are. Look how, how generous they are. And then have you ever noticed that those people often, if not almost always, fall off that pedestal? Why? Because humans weren't made to be put on a pedestal. So John recognizes this because John the Baptist is baptizing and then he's quite the eloquent speecher. He looks horrible. Have you ever read what John the Baptist wore? He would not win any fashion awards, okay? But despite that, he was, he was preaching and, and everybody's like, this guy is awesome. And he sits there and he goes, hey, you better be careful. John 3, 15 through 18. Now the people were waiting expectantly and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. By him living, pointing to God, people were like, this guy must be the Messiah because nobody lives like this. No, he was a life changed. So John answered them, I baptize you with the water, but the one who is more powerful than I am is coming, and I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, I, I'm baptizing you with this idea of turning around towards God, but when he comes, he is God and will give you God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's very important that as you start turning to God and you start giving to the poor, or as you ask, start living for God in your workplace, or you start trying to be a light for him in the world, you don't get an ego about it. But remember that it's about staying focused on God because the enemy's smart. And so what we do is we stay in the mindset of staying focused on Jesus. We turn from all other directions and stay. The path is straight and the prophet's message should always be pointing back to worshiping the Messiah. So we praise a hallelujah. In every situation. Now, here's the cool part. As John was baptizing, some, some time passes, okay? You, you can read about the time between as John's baptizing and what Jesus is baptized, which we're about to read in Matthew. But some time has passed, even though these verses are next to each other. And Jesus is now approaching John the Baptist to be baptized. And at first, John's like, I don't know, I want to baptize you. You can read this story in Matthew, okay? But as he relents, to baptizing Jesus, some natural questions should be asked. Why did Jesus need to get baptized if he was perfect? What is he repenting from? Short answer, he wasn't repenting, but we'll get to it. Let's read the story in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. 
As he was praying, heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. I would have loved to have seen that, wouldn't you? And a voice came from heaven. Now, we don't know what that voice sounded like, but I like to imagine it sounded like this. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Why it sounded like a guy in a microphone? I don't know. It's probably like a dainty little four-year-old voice. I don't know. I don't know what God sounds like, but I, I think that's pretty cool, right? Like, they knew it was the voice of God. How cool would that have been? And it said, listen to him. Look to him. Stay connected to him. But still beckons the question, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, theologians, after a lot of research this week, suggested three reasons why Jesus' baptism was important. Okay? The first, Jesus' baptism was the sign of the start of a new ministry. This is when his ministry kind of started. And so if you think about it, baptism is dying to your old way and being raised to a new life. So this was the raise, the start of a new ministry. And when you're around here and you get baptized, what we're trying to say is you're being not only turning from your old ways, but you're being raised to a new life. That's why we don't just put on the helmet of salvation. We put on the belt of truth. We put on the other parts that you can read in Ephesians 6. But as we dress ourselves with the image of God, as we become more and more like him, we become more and more comfortable in the skin we're in. We become more and more in line with the purpose and the will that the God himself has for us. So as we begin to do that, we're starting a new trajectory that says, I'm going to be. And Jesus did that to symbolize the start of his new ministry. The second reason, Jesus' baptism was a sign of unity with the Father's will as well as the church. It was the sign of the Father's will. It, the Father had asked him to do it, so he did it. Hello? When the Bible says, go and be baptized, it's actually a command. It's not a, if I feel like it. And it joined together him with the church. I don't know if you ever realized this, but when you get baptized... Baptism is never just about the person being baptized. Why? Because it connects you with the other believers. Every follower of Jesus who gets baptized shares that in common unity. It's the first step. It's, it's what unites you. It's, yes, in our church it makes you a member if you go to Discovering Calvary and sign the peace paper and you're baptized. I get all that. By the way, that's today. If you want to go find out more, it's after the service. But as we're doing that, the baptism is, it bonds you. It, it connects you to the body of believers in a way that's, that's almost difficult to describe unless you go through that. It's an experience that's shared and unified and unites you with Jesus himself. The third reason, it's as a Jesus' example of surrender for us to follow. You see, Jesus did not need to be baptized to repent. He had nothing to repent from. But he did need to be baptized to surrender. Surrender and repentance are different. Repentance means turn around because you're headed in the wrong direction. Surrender just means submission to God's will. And Jesus still had to submit to the will of the Father. 
So if Jesus had to submit to the will of the Father, don't you think we should too? So two open invitations this morning. One, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never truly understood what it looks like to to stop trying to build up your own kingdom. And the way you know this is you're just not comfortable in your skin. You're in, right? You've lived your life your way, and where's it gotten you? What has it produced? When will you ever have enough to be at rest? You're chasing after an empty dream. Because you and I were made to be in a relationship with God as our primary focus. So when we repent and we, we say, Jesus, I recognize you came for me and I can, you can have a relationship with God himself and the Spirit of God will come into your life. That may sound weird, but trust me, it's impactful and powerful and we want to help you. Not that you'll have all life's problems figured out, but this life will be a journey drawing closer and closer to God. And like I said at the beginning, that's what Ben would say is worth it. If you've never done that, I'd love to tell you how to receive Jesus. You just got to acknowledge he is Lord and accept him in your life. And we'd love to tell you more about that after the service. We'll have some people up front who would love to talk to you about it. You can also talk to the person who brought you because if you were brought by someone, there's probably someone who knows what that means. If they don't, then get us, okay? But we'd love to tell you more about how to be a follower of Jesus. The second open invitation is repentance of those who've never been baptized. Say, well, that's embarrassing. Why? Jesus did it. Are you better than Jesus? That was a little bit of manipulation, I know. (laughs) That was kind of like your dad manipulating when you're four. Sorry, not sorry. There's an obedience to that, a surrender. And the final invitation is to realize what a life would look like when you really surrender to God. When you're comfortable in the skin you're in, it probably means that you put on more than just the helmet of salvation because you're covering up more of your body. You know what I'm saying? So as I was thinking about that, I want to go back to the thing. Do you desire to live for God this year? And what does it really look like to repent? What does it really look like to go to the dying of self and being raised to a new life? And as I was thinking about that, I did a, a little devotion with my family over New Year's, and I just kept thinking about it because it's something that God was dealing with me last year. And I just want to share that real quickly with you this morning. And as a good pastor form, it's going to be an alliteration of three E's. All right? So what would it look like for us to live a faith-filled life this year? In other words, 2024, by the time that year rolls around, our spiritual life will be better. Not perfect but growing. We'll see God move. One, do you have an expectation? An expectation that God is still the God who does miracles. He's still the God who shuts the mouth of lions. He's still the God that shows up in the storm and calms the seas. He's still the God that is faithful to deliver people over addictions. He's still the God to save marriages. He is still the God to help you overcome habitual practices that are draining you, destroying you. Do you believe that life could be on this earth more and more like it's supposed to be in heaven? 
What would it look like, church, if we really believe that? It'd lead us to the second E. We'd start living a life of excitement. I am over the church sitting around going, oh, this life's going to be hard. Oh, when's Jesus going to return? Oh, this life is such a bore. No, it doesn't have to be. Who told you that God can't do a great revival in this country? Who told you that the world has to continually get worse? When do we buy into this lie that the enemy has more power than God himself? Maybe it just takes church, us believing that God is who he says he is. Make it, it, maybe it takes us waking up from our slumber and believing that God can do something dynamic and exciting and it begins with me. You can't pray for God to do something amazing in our country while having a bad attitude and doing nothing internally. So God, light the fire in the matchstick and the tinder of my heart. And let it spread. Do you believe? How you know you believe is you start getting excited to see what God can do. And then the third part is you can't just hope. There has to be some execution. And execution is the carrying out of the plan, right? It is the, I have an obligation to seek God, to do my quiet time, to do my devotion, to do what is right. But execution is actually a play on words there because it also implies something's got to die. You see, as you draw closer to God, inevitably something has to die, which is why baptism, once again, is so important. It's the dying to self and being raised to new life. So if you want to overcome and become closer to God, what needs to die in 2023? Now, you want to know how something dies? You focus on what's going to be resurrected. What do I mean by that? We can ask the youngest child in this room, in order to stop lying, you have to... Okay, this, this town is way too brilliant for y'all just to stare at me blankly. My bad. I didn't, I didn't actually expect you to know there, there, that this is audience participation, okay? Oh, thanks. In order to stop lying, you have to actually... Wow! How did you all know that? Did, did you read my notes? No, because they're not in my notes. Why? Because we already know it. So what needs to die has to be replaced by a different focus on the opposite good. Unless you identify the opposite good, the other part's not going to die. So you've got to replace anger with love. But I like being angry. Okay. You have to replace just about anything. You can naturally do the work. So here's our daily training. I want you to write down at least one way you desire to see God move in your life this year. Please do not pick something like, I want to lose 1.5 pounds. Or, I want my husband to be nicer to me. That may be true, but you work on you, okay? 
What needs to die? And spoiler, as part of this, you probably need to identify what characteristic of God, what truth of God can you look at to help you overcome and then do the work. Because it is very rare that the shackles, although it does happen because our God's amazing, that the shackles of what is keeping us from walking with God will immediately drop and we'll never have to go back. Right? Oh, another good way to look at this. An alcoholic will tell you they're an alcoholic for the rest of their life. They'll just spend the rest of their life recovering. Right? So what you've already done, you're going to be likely to do again. So you're just kind of trying to recover by taking on the character and the nature of God so that those things don't have the reins over your emotions and reins over your soul and reins over your spirit. Why? Because your spirit is filled with God. By the way, we have a great ministry called Celebrate Recovery that meets on Tuesday nights. Love to have you come. Talk to us about it. So that's it, church. Very simple challenge. Do you need Jesus? Repent and turn to him. Have you ever been baptized? If not, yourcalvary.info slash baptism. Fill it out. We'll follow up with you. Yourcalvary.info slash baptism. Yourcalvary.info slash baptism. And all of us have something that we can die to by focusing on the nature and the characteristic of God. Let's get excited about the God we serve. Let's start a fire. Let's look at him. Let's rejoice in him. Let's adore him. So God, I thank you for who you are and for what you're doing in our life. God, in this room and in this moment, we pray for the shackles of sin to be broken. And we believe that you can do it. God, we pray for us to have the right posture and for all the I can'ts, I don't think it will happen to dissipate at the foot of the cross. For us to sense your presence and your power, for us to sense your love, for us to sense how good and faithful you are, for us to sense that what you want to do in us is so much more than we can even imagine. So God, help us to imagine what you want your will, your ways, for you are good and holy and just. You are kind and loving and faithful. You are generous, sacrificial. And so we yield to you. You are good, and we adore you. In your name we pray. Amen.